Hello everyone. Welcome to another episode of 2024, The Class of Activism. This episode, I'm joined by Jasmine Tinsley as we discuss Black History Month. For those of you that are new to the show, the mission of 2024 is to answer the questions, what problems are there, what are potential solutions, and how can we help advocate for these solutions? We hope for our podcast to be an activism toolkit for not just the class of 2024, but for activists and organizers all around the country. Enjoy the show. Welcome to another episode of 2024, The Class of Activism. I am Joseph. I am joined today by Jasmine Tinsley. And today we are going to talk about Black History Month. We are going to talk about its importance, the origins of it, and as always, debunking the racist views about it. Jasmine is a senior history major at Stetson University with her senior research focusing on the decline of Juneteenth celebrations in Chicago, Texas, and Georgia. She is the head of Hatter Productions. Thank you so much for being on the show. Thank you for having me. I'm very excited about this. All right. So to start off, um, Jasmine, could you please tell us about the origins of Black History Month? Sure. Um, Before I kind of get into the origin, I just want to give a disclaimer that there are certain words that will have to be used because that's what was used during the time. Definitely do not use these words in 2021. Um, Please don't. But listen to them. (laughs) Don't. (laughs) Please don't. Um, So Basically, it started off as being called National African American History Month, and it started in 1915, a very long time ago, when someone by the name of Carter Woodson, who was a historian and an author, he founded the Association for the Study of Negro Life and History. Um, It's now called the Association for the Study of African American Life and History, or just called the ASALH. He basically initiated the first Negro... History Week in February in 1926. It took place during the second week to coincide with the birthdays of Abraham Lincoln and Frederick Douglass, two key history figures in American history and for African Americans, or so they say in terms of Abraham Lincoln, but that's another side note. Um, Basically, in 1975, President Ford issued a message basically saying that all Americans should recognize the important contribution made to our nation's life and culture by black citizens. That's a direct quote. In 1976, there was a commemoration of black history in the U.S., and it was expanded by the ASALH to Black History Month, also known as African American History Month, but we just call it Black History Month. So whichever one you choose, they're both proper terms. Um, And he issued a message on the observance of Black History Month, that year. And in the following years, President Carter, Reagan continued to give messages on Black History Month as well. In 1986, Congress actually passed a public law, 99-244, which designated February 1986 as National Black Afro-American History Month. And the law basically stated that February 1st, 1986 will mark the beginning of the sixth annual public and private salute to Black history. And the law further directed the president to issue a proclamation calling on the people of the U.S. to observe February 1986 as Black History Month with the appropriate ceremonies and activities. Um, 
So that's pretty much how it started. Now it's kind of more of a worldwide thing. A lot of other countries don't observe Black History Month in February. I know there are certain countries that observe it in October. Not really sure why, but <laughs> as long as, you know, they celebrate it in their own way, that is fine. Um, very interesting. We get one month, which is the shortest month out of all of the months. <laughs> yeah, that's, that's very, very interesting. <laughs> but that's pretty much how that came about. And it's funny because I actually did not know that. I never knew how it started because it's not something that is talked about or ever mentioned. It's like, oh, it's Black History Month. And I was like, okay. You know, when you're a kid, you're like, okay, this sounds, this sounds great. Like, what do we do? But I never knew how it started or why it started until I got curious. And I was like, you know, I'm just going to Google this and see what I can find. And that's pretty much how it started. Nice. Let's let's kind of go into um, the importance of Black history as an actual study, as an actual field, and as and its importance to the fabric of our American society or even our world society. Um, so with with Black History Month, you can't just talk about the history of racism and racist policies. That like, that's not the only thing that you can that you cover during Black History Month. Black history isn't like this history of all the bad things that happened. There's great things that have happened. Absolutely. I I did two videos on my Instagram on two people I didn't know about who aren't very well known. Um, because, you know, during Black History Month, they talk about civil rights, Martin Luther King, Malcolm X, Rosa Parks. People like that, but you don't really hear other stories of how other African Americans are making history, which, I mean, is very interesting to me because these are the people they choose to focus on, which is fine. I mean, it's important to know them as well, but there are other people that have made history that do amazing things and that are responsible for a lot of different things. Um, like I talked about Sadie Alexander, who went to Penn State, well, what is now Penn State Law? And she was the first African-American woman to actually gain a degree there at that school and actually practice law in the state of Pennsylvania. And for many years, she was denied entrance into a fraternity there. And it wasn't until 1986 that she gained access into this fraternity, which is absolutely mind-blowing. But those are stories that you don't hear about during Black History Month. You hear about, oh, well, you know... They had all these racist laws and I mean, they passed the law, but it didn't really do much. But the narrative that they teach, especially in public schools, is that, oh, yeah, it's Black History Month. Let's talk about Martin Luther King. Let's talk about Malcolm X. Let's talk about how if you wanted to fight for equality, you're considered a communist. Like, it's mind blowing that we don't touch on amazing things that African-Americans have done. You know, we don't talk about like Madam C.J. Walker, who invented amazing hair care products and became the first African-American self-made millionaire. That's not something that's discussed during that month, which definitely should be. And it's obviously important to talk about the racist laws, the racist things that happen, because it's still very prevalent in our current society today. And I always think it's important to know about the past so you can prepare for the future. And people always say, oh, history doesn't repeat itself. It definitely does. I mean, we're living proof that it it really does repeat itself, maybe not in the same fashion that may have happened in the 50s or the 20s, but it definitely does repeat itself. And 
it's important to highlight not only the negative aspects, but important to highlight things that African-Americans are doing that are absolutely life-changing in our society. Mm-hmm. Let, let's, let's kind of talk about how schools, especially public schools, really cover um, Black history, not just within Black History Month, but in general, when public schools talk about like racism, when they talk about Black people, the way that they do it is in a kind of manipulative way that they teach about slavery, first of all. It's like, yeah, we had slavery. It was bad. Uh, We could all agree um, on that. Um, But it it ended. And then they're like, oh, but we still had segregation until the 1960s when, uh, but then there's this guy named Martin Luther King who ended all that and then ended racism. Yippee. Right. And it's it's so mind-blowing that that's how they teach it. Um, like, for example, when I started doing my research for my senior project last semester, you know, I did it on Juneteenth, and I kind of did more background before I got into, like, the main portion of what I really wanted to talk about. And for many years, like, in all of my grade schools, we always talked about the Emancipation Proclamation in terms of slavery. The narrative has always been, oh, yeah, Abraham Lincoln wrote the Emancipation Proclamations. The slaves are free. Yippee. You guys should be happy. <laughs> like, that's how, they, that's, that's how they teach it to us. But in reality, the Emancipation Proclamation did not free the slaves. It was dependent upon the outcome of the Civil War. I mean, the, it was written in 1863, which was dead smack in the middle of this huge war between the North and the South to essentially preserve the institution of slavery. And of course they said, oh, because of taxes and because of other stuff. But the main reason was because the South wanted to preserve the institution of slavery. Yeah, it's like, uh, um, we've, I think we've already made this point on the, on the podcast, but um, basically the argument um, that, slavery, that slavery wasn't the cause of the Civil War, they're like, like states' rights! And I'm like, states' rights to what? To what? <laughs> right. To what? <laughs> right. And... In my research, you know, it was very interesting to see that that wasn't the case. The If the North lost this war, the Emancipation Proclamation didn't apply. It didn't matter. But if the North won the war, okay, then yeah, we can try to apply it. And even when they did win the war in 1865 and, you know, the soldiers got to Gal- um, Galvington, Texas and said, hey, war is over, we won, you guys are free, the definition of free isn't what you think it is. But obviously, you know, they were happy and filled with joy. They were like, yes, we do not have to do this anymore. But the catch to that was there was a general order issued that basically said, okay, you guys are free now. However, if you want to stay on this land, you still have to work for your now former slave masters. Mm -hmm. You're not going to get paid much, but at least you're not doing it for free anymore. And I'm like, so they're not free because if they want to stay on this land, most of them will probably stay on this land because where are they supposed to go? There's no place for them in society because you guys have completely treated them like less than human. I mean, there was a law that said that African-Americans were three-fourths of a human. So In the Constitution. Yeah. So it's like, where are they supposed to go after? And even with them winning the war and them saying, you guys are free, every state took their time enforcing this. It did not happen simultaneously. And that's something that they teach in school. Oh, yeah, emancipation happened. 
slavery ended. Yippee. We move on. Everything is right in the world. And I'm like, no, don't teach kids that because that's not the truth behind how all of this happened. And they tend to leave many important facts out of that conversation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, let, let's kind of talk about this in the context of um, reparations. And be, because there's like a huge historical significance to what you just talked about, which is, I don't remember which union general it was, but a union, I think it was Sherman or whatever, um, Sherman promised um, to this group of black people who were, I, I think, fighting with Union soldiers and or something along those lines. And he asked, what do you want after the war is over? And they were like, we want land for ourselves. We want to be able to govern ourselves. We do... We want to be able to grow food for ourselves, to be able to create, um, to create hubs of business, to create communities. And Sherman agreed to this. Lincoln agreed to this, I think, as well. But then we have Andrew Johnson, who took over after Lincoln was assassinated. And so the promise of well, it was at the time 40 acres and a mule, which in those times, very valuable. Yes. Very. That went away. And it's the reason why we have the system known as sharecropping, which meant that black people still had to work on the plantations for their former, for their former masters and like get paid next to nothing. I mean, pretty much, which is a very terrible thing um, because these, you know, they just treated them not even like second class citizens. They did not matter. They only matter in the sense of, oh, you know, we're getting free labor out of them or we don't have to pay them much now. And I think a lot of in the con- in the conversation of like reparations, I had this conversation in middle school because it was brought up in some sort of conversation And people are like, do you think that we should get reparations now or should we not get reparations? And while, you know, reparations sound nice, you know, money sounds nice, but a lot of people don't recognize that money does not fix the psychological imprint that that has on someone. You know, being someone that had to live through slavery and be beaten, talked down to, told you couldn't learn how to read or write, you're less than... Some of them were even raped by their slave masters. I mean, that doesn't fix the imprint that that has on someone. But even though slavery isn't a thing anymore, there are still a lot of present issues. Like, there's still racism. And there are still people who are like, oh, you're black. You look suspicious. <laughs> you know, it, it's very... It's very frustrating to know that people still have a mentality of someone who lives in the 1800s because we're not in the 1800s anymore. Like it's 2021, but this is not the narrative that they're telling. They're telling a very, not even a sugar-coated, they're, tearing, they're telling a stripped version of the truth. Exactly. And when, when, we, when I, with me, when I talk about reparations, I'm, it's not reparations isn't just money. It's 
also a complete policy change to create an equitable society. It's repairing the harm that's been done. That's what reparations means, repairing harm. Right. And not just repairing the harm of slavery, but repairing the harm of post-slavery, of repairing the harm of segregation, repairing the harm of mass incarceration, repairing the harm of Donald Trump. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there's a lot of there's a lot of harm to repair and like right now we live in a society where obviously we have like Black Lives Matter and that's a very prominent movement that's happening and there's so much push and pull with that because there are people like oh well black Lives matters is a scam and it funded joe biden's campaign and i'm like okay first off don't know where you got that information from but secondly people do not understand the purpose behind the movement the reason why people are protesting in the street the reason why people are taking the social media and talking about these issues the reason why people have an issue with donald trump like there's a lot of things that have happened. Like you can't even jog in a nice neighborhood, live there without someone going, "You don't belong here." What do you mean they don't belong there? Like they paid their money to be in this place. They do what they're supposed to do, but because they're black, because they're darker than you, they don't belong in your neighborhood. And since when did it become your neighborhood? Like this conversation of ownership, like you still own everything. Oh, you're black. You don't belong here. Oh, you're black. You can't come in here. You don't belong in this apartment building. You don't belong in my store. Or you're in my store. You're black. I'm going to follow you around because I just think you're suspicious because you're black. And it's like, we are not, we're supposed to be fixing these issues. But instead of fixing them, there are people that still continue the cycle. And I'm like, at what point do we break the cycle? At what point do we start fixing these, these issues? Exactly. And the thing with, we've said this a lot, or at least I've said this a lot, Black Lives Matter isn't like some sort of scam terrorist uh, organization created by the Democratic Party or whatever. It's an organization that promotes equity, that promotes justice. Yeah, it definitely does. I mean, like even like here... On campus, we talk a lot about diversity, equity, and inclusion, mm-hmm. and incorporating that into everything that we do. Because if everyone doesn't feel comfortable and you're not including people who are not like you, then that's a problem. Mm-hmm. And when it came to Black Lives like I have a phone case that has Black Lives Matter on it. And when I purchased this phone case, <laughs> I was home in Georgia. What a place. Oh, what a place. And Better I, than here now. <laughs> I had this phone case, and someone saw this phone case, and they said, so you're participating in a scam. And I'm like, can you please explain to me what scam I'm participating in? Apple. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, what scam am I participating in? Because I purchased a phone case that says Black Lives Matter, and it says stand up, speak up. And they're like, oh, well, you know, maybe if you guys just didn't do this or are in places you don't belong. And I was like, whoa, places we don't belong. I didn't know we were back in slavery again. Like, (laughs) I didn't know we still lived in these times where I have to belong somewhere. And it's just very mind blowing to me. And that's like when I started using my Instagram a lot 
to like speak on these issues because it was just, I like I was shocked. Like there have been times I've been in the store, I've been followed, I've had people cross the street to avoid from being on the same side as me, and I'm like I I'm literally the kindest person on the planet, but just because I'm black. You don't want to be on the same side as me. You want to follow me through a store because you think I'm going to steal something. The connotations, the stereotypes that society has put out there about black people is just, it's heartbreaking because it's hard to live in a society like that. And it makes people question, well, do we belong? Like, do I want to bring kids into this world? Like, what do I want to do about this? Because these are, these are real, like, these are real conversations I've seen people sit down with their sons and be like, hey, if you get pulled over by a cop, do this, do that, don't do this, don't do that. Even if it's an unfair ticket, just take it anyway and don't say anything because you don't know what they're going to do. Or if you need to get reaching your wallet, reaching your pocket and get your wallet, tell them, like make sure they know because those, those are frightful things to not know if you're going to come home or not or to have parents genuinely afraid for their kids. Mm-hmm. And uh, the thing with what you just talked about with the conversations that parents have to have with kids, even with a parent that is supremely, supremely thorough in that conversation, it's not anywhere close to being foolproof. It People still comply with the police. Black people still comply with the police and still get killed. They do everything right and still get killed. That is not a successful system. That is a completely failed system. And then to see like the cops make the decision, oh, I'm just going to resign and then nothing happens after that. And you see that happen and you just kind of have to sit back and go, whoa, like, is this what we're living in? Like when Trayvon Martin was killed and George Simmons went to court, like I sat there and I watched this entire trial. Like I needed to see how this was going to play out. Yeah. I remember like back in, when was it decided? 2013? Yeah. I remember back in 2013 sitting on my couch watching CNN and they had the announcement of the verdict of the trial of Martin and... Me being like a naive 10-year-old at the time, I was like, of course Zimmerman is guilty. It's dull. But then they said not guilty. I'm like, huh? Yeah. What? I mean, all the evidence was there. Like, they played the 911 call where the dispatcher was like, well, do not approach him. Like, leave the situation alone. Just wait for someone to get there. And to know that you provoked that type of situation and then when he tried to defend himself you killed him mm-hmm. and he wasn't doing anything like he literally went to a store and just bought some stuff and was walking back home and you made that decision to take someone else's life and the fact that there was no repercussions like he's running around free he's signing autographs yeah he's like signing autographs of people and that's what's his- he it's like what are you famous for Killing someone. And you're signing autographs for Yeah. Him? Yes. Like, oh my God, can I have your autograph, please? I know you killed someone, but can I have can your you, autograph? Can you sign my Confederate flag? Oh my gosh, don't even get me started on Confederate flags. Like, I had a whole spill about Confederate flags. 
because people do not understand. You know, I live in Georgia. We live in the South. So <laughs> people are like, well, we're just preserving our Southern heritage. And I'm like, that's Southern not a heritage. That's not a heritage to preserve. Like your flag represents preserving the institution of slavery. No matter what you say, no matter how you put it, that is what your flag represents. Your flag was saying, well, we want to preserve slavery. And they're like, oh, well, my ancestors fought in that war. Okay. Do you want a hero cookie? Congratulations. <laughs> like, what do, you do, you want, do you want a hero cookie for your ancestors fighting for slavery to be preserved? Right. And as, like, as an African-American girl, like as an African-American woman, I see that and I'm like, oh my God. Anytime I see a Confederate flag, I start shaking because I'm like, I, you know, I don't know what I'm going to expect when you come out of the door. There was one time, mm-hmm. maybe my sophomore year here at Stetson, I went to Daytona Beach. And we were, like, walking down the street where all these little shops were. And this older guy was, like, riding on his motorcycle. And we came upon a light. <laughs> and he stopped at the light. Obviously, he had to. You know, that's not legal to not stop. But he had a Confederate flag on the back of his motorcycle. And I, was, I walked past him because I was crossing the street. And the death stare that he gave me, I was so uncomfortable because I'm like, what did I do besides walk across the street? That's what you did. <laughs> like, if you see me and you become triggered or you have that much hatred in your heart towards someone that one you don't know, B, because I'm black, and C, because you want to preserve your Southern heritage, that's not a heritage to be proud of. If, like, I don't know about anyone else, but I'm, I would not be proud of that heritage. I would not be proud to know that my ancestor decided instead of being fair and promoting equality, he promoted slavery and said, I'm going to fight for slavery. I remember this clip of Anderson Cooper on um, this one show where this person would basically trace her family tree. And so they did this with Anderson Cooper. So Anderson Cooper found out that he was a descendant of a slave owner who was killed by um, one of his uh, slaves in, like, some really absurd um, way that you could not make up. And so Anderson Cooper's reaction is like, oh, my goodness, that's amazing. (laughs) (laughs) I, you know, it's so interesting to see people, they're like, these are, like, conversations that I think are very important to have. Because it's so important to what goes on in our current society. Like, if you do not understand the past context, you're not going to understand the present or the future context. And it's so important. And we live in a world where technology is all around us. Like, Google is at your fingertips. Library of Congress, at your fingertips. Every source of information is at your fingertips. And people walk around and say, oh, well, I just didn't know, and think that that's an excuse to be racist, to say racist things, to promote racist ideologies, or to just simply put out stuff that's not true. Yeah, many many of the people that use that excuse, oh, I didn't know about that, oh, I didn't know about that, a lot of them are being very not genuine in that. Like, I get it. There is a lot of stuff to look at within a lot, within, like, the history of our society. Like, our history is super twisted in a lot of ways. And 
I get that you might not be able to look at every single thing from this history. No one can. But at the same time, when you claim to be like, oh, I didn't know about this thing that I could have looked up in a YouTube documentary that's about 10 minutes long. Right. And then the people that say that they don't know about a lot of this stuff, they're, you can really separate them into two groups. One being the group that would actually genuinely want to learn this stuff, that they were victims of hugely whitewashed uh, uh, history curriculum. But then you have the other group of people that are willfully ignorant in a lot of ways, that even like when they say, oh, I didn't know about this, they'll still continue about their daily racist behaviors. They'll still continue to spread racism and preserve the system of institutional white supremacy. Yeah, definitely. That's just like, like for example, if you were to come up to an African-American person and say, wow, you're a colored person, and you get a very uh, negative reaction, you cannot act surprised at the reaction you got because one, we're in 2021. That's a term that should not be used anymore like you cannot just go up to someone and say yeah i saw a colored person today oh my god what you, you just cannot do things like that or i know something that's a a huge conversation right now is like the use of the n-word and i feel so many ways about this because i don't think it should be used at all i don't but if you are not an african-american person when you say it there are two connotations that come from it when you use that word. And people are like, oh, I mean, I have black friends. Just because you have black friends does not make it okay to use a word that was used to keep African-Americans down. Like that word has a very negative connotation. Even though the ER is no longer on it and you replaced it with an A, it does not mean that you are able to use it because you have black friends. And people are like, oh, they said it in the song, so why can't I say it? Because you can't say it. <laughs> like, if you do not yeah. understand why you cannot use that word, I don't know how else to help you. I can give you the tools and explain to you the connotation of that word, but there are people who genuinely think that it's okay to use that word. I have, mm, correction, I had a friend who... <laughs> <laughs> I had a friend who I went to her I went to her house and she lives in South Florida and lives in the middle of nowhere and this was the like I was so mind blown when I heard this some of her friends like were saying this word and referring to each other as the n-word now they're white I was sitting in the room and the amount of uncomfortableness that I felt when I heard them say that word to each other I was like oh and then I said to my friend I was like hey you can't really say that well why not the amount of time that I don't have to explain to you why like if you cannot look at me and understand why I don't I can't help you. Like, this is not a word that you can mm -hmm. just use around because you have friends or because you have black friends. 
That's not an excuse. Right. Since this is a podcast where we share information that gets recorded so that the guests on the podcast don't really have to say it again, let me break this uh, down for anyone who says that the N-word should not be exclusive to black people or that everyone should be able to use it. Okay, so I've, I've done a good amount of research on this and... From what I've read from black activists, the reason why um, black people use the N-word amongst themselves is a way of subversion. It's a way of, let me just put a disclaimer out here, like this doesn't at all like completely legitimize this method. This is just the reasoning that people use. So... They use it as a way of subversion to turn it for themselves from a negative term into a positive term in order to not necessarily get rid of, but um, to modify the connotation of it amongst themselves. And so if you look at it from a logical standpoint, so first of all, the N-word, the actual origin of it, was purely racist. There is no doubt about that. It was always meant to be racist. And it was created by white people, of course. But the thing is, is that you can't use it as a subversion technique. Like, white people, or really, if even expanding more on this, um, non-black people, they can't use it as a subversion technique because they don't have any basis to subvert because of the societal structure, the, soci the uh, social hierarchies that are present in society, they cannot subvert something that wouldn't be true. Like this is something like was brought up by, um, by what um, Aaliyah Cruz, uh, shout out to her again, um, posted the other day. And I was like, okay, I, I, I have a feeling that I'm, not, I'm gonna need to break this down. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I've tried to break it down many times, and I think that now it's just the issue of, okay, I'm explaining this to you. You simply just don't want to do it. Right. You choose to not let go of your ideologies. And I get it, it's a hard thing to do because when you grow up, learning certain things you grow up and your parents are telling you oh yeah you have black friends don't <laughs> you know <laughs> common sense it's kind yeah. of i get that it's hard yeah. to get out of but at the same time you have to be in a place where you are ready and open-minded and willing to learn okay why might this be offensive to someone mm -hmm. why might this make someone feel some kind of way why might i get a negative reaction based off of what comes out of my mouth that's just like if you came up to me and you said hey we're going to go out to dinner. Okay, where are we going to go? Where are we going to get? Well, I figured we can go somewhere where, you know, they have chicken and watermelon. What? What if I wanted pasta? <laughs> you looked at me and said, okay, she's black, so I know she's going to want chicken and watermelon. And that, that, that stereotype was completely fabricated in a lot of ways. And the crazy part about it is, is that there are certain foods that are important to African-American culture simply because of Juneteenth. But because it's not something that is taught or known about, people just throw out stereotypes all over and say, oh, yeah, 
You're black. I know you like grape soda. I actually don't. I, I don't. I don't like grape soda. But because you looked at me, assumed my race, you have all the stereotypes. Oh, yeah, she's black, so she's very aggressive and violent and loud and ghetto and wears eyelashes the size of a bird feather. Like, <laughs> the stereotypes they create, and it's so funny to me because now we live in a world where people are getting lip injections, getting butt implants. All of the implants. All the implants. <laughs> you want to wear box braids. You want to have bantu knots. And then when someone says, hey, do you understand the significance behind the hairstyle you have? Do you understand the significance behind the dashiki that you're wearing? And when they say no, I mean, it's just clothing. They're just braids. They're just bantu knots. No, it's culture. You guys are willing to take the culture, get the lip injections, because your lips are thin. You're willing to get the implants. You're willing to wear the African clothing, get Bantu knots, but you're not willing to one, understand the culture, and two, to change your racist ideologies. But you want the culture. You like country music, and then the minute I tell you what country music was really created by black people, it's a problem. Most of American music was created by black people. Right. Like I that, like it's so mind-blowing because when you tell people this, they're like, oh, that's not true. You guys just want to take credit for everything. No, 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 no. No one told you guys to prance on over to Africa. Tell us, oh, you need to be Christians because if you're not, we're going to kill you. Let's go ahead and get on this boat. No, let me not even ask. Let me just take you. Corrupt and convince your rulers in Africa to make you get on this boat. Let me bring you over to America, chain you up, treat you like animals, beat you, rape you, have mixed babies, and then say interracial marriage is illegal. But let me take the culture that you guys have and treat you guys like you're nothing. And that's something that's still a cycle, even in 2021. You want the culture, but you don't want to understand the significance. You don't want to be equal. You don't want to be fair. You want to look at a black person and assume all the things without knowing that this black person may have their own business, may have four degrees, may be a doctor, but because you just saw their outward appearance, you assume the worst, or that was warranty of them losing their life. I don't understand. It's so mind-boggling, because it's a scary thing. It's a scary thing to not know if you're going to walk outside and not know what's going to happen to you. It's a scary thing to know that someone could lose their life in their sleep. That's scary. Or it's scary to know that because of where you grew up or where your family lives, that because you grew up in an area where, yeah, there might be crime, or yeah, it's probably not the best area, but because of that one simple fact, all the odds are stacked against you. They assume, oh yeah, you're not going to be anything but a drug dealer anyway. Why should we care about you? Oh, this area is a low-income area, so let's just not put any resources there. And then get upset when someone else takes the initiative to provide those resources. Well, I don't understand. Black people never want to work. Black people never want to do this. Okay. <laughs> like, if that's what you assume, that's totally on you. But when you live in low-income areas and there are no resources and the only thing that's there is stuff that's not legal, but it's your only option. What else what are you do, expected to do? What else are you do? expected to do? Exactly. Or when you send someone to prison, most of the time for stuff they didn't do, but, you know... 
that's just our legal system. That's just how it works, I guess. Um, you send someone to jail, which is supposed to be rehabilitatory place. It's supposed to help you turn your life around, but they just throw you in there, throw away the key, and then when you come out and reoffend and go back to the same place that's supposed to be helping you, but they're just using you to make license plates so the government can make money, they're mad. <laughs> like, or when you're throwing people in jail who don't belong there, have not done anything wrong, law-abiding citizens, they can be in court and the evidence can show someone else on the tape and they say, oh, well, you're black. We're just gonna let you take the fall. Go ahead. <sighs> Gosh, I mean, even, even in my community, I know two people that have had family members killed by police. That's three too many right there. I mean, it's just a thing that so many people are unwilling to understand. It's yeah. Yes. And, uh, like, I'm a very transparent person. So I'm going to be very transparent. I grew up in a very bad area. Like, I've seen things that people... Kids my age should not see. Like, I've seen prostitutes on the street. I've seen people sell drugs. I've seen a house get raided. <laughs> I've seen people get into full fights in the street. I've seen or heard gunshots, hear police sirens up and down the street. Things that kids my age shouldn't see, but, I mean, what was I supposed to do? I'm a kid, so I saw it. But the difference is, is that I had a mom who knew that's not what she wanted for me. So she did everything she could to make sure I did not fall into that. Because it's very easy to fall into it. Like, you could literally walk down the street and be like, hey, I want to get into this. And they'll be like, okay. But when you don't have the resources or you don't have parents, because there are kids that just simply don't have parents. You don't have anyone there to help guide you. It's very easy to fall into that lifestyle. But people say, oh, you're black. I just don't understand how you just couldn't fix it. I, you know, you black people always breaking the laws and doing this and that. Well, if you took the time to understand why that is, maybe your viewpoint will change. But it's something that a lot of people won't change because a lot of people that have opinions about a lot of things they don't know, know anything about are rich people. Rich people who have never, one, had to struggle a day in their life, who have never worked hard for anything. They just living off daddy's money. <laughs> so... For them, they don't have to know anything about the struggle or know anything about why a lot of African-Americans go through the things they do because people don't understand that the system was designed to keep black Americans poor. It was designed mm -hmm. to do that. The whole welfare thing was designed to keep black people under. But that's a conversation people are not ready for. Like That's a part of history. That's, not, that's just not something I pulled out of the sky. It's history. But because it's not taught in schools... Because it's not a conversation that's talked about, people don't know it. And people are not ready to know it. I mean, hey, if you want to stay under a rock your entire life, by all means, do you. But we have so much technology. We have so much access to so many things from the past. It's not that hard to Google it and really find out, okay, what's the significance behind this? But people don't want to do that. They want to hold on to their ideologies and... Whenever February rolls around, they're like, oh, yeah, Black History Month. Let's talk about Martin Luther King. No. <laughs> no, no, no. Every month, you guys talk about the same people, the same thing. 
nothing different. Let's talk about the success. They don't even tell the, the total story of the same people. Like, right. they don't talk about post-I-have-a-dream post speech Martin Luther King. They barely even talk about pre-I-have-a-dream speech from Martin Luther King. Right. They don't talk about the fact that Martin Luther King was was pretty anti-capitalist. They don't talk about the fact that he was anti-Vietnam War. They don't talk about the fact that Martin Luther King, when he came out as against the Vietnam War, lost his working relationship with Lyndon B. Johnson. It's one of the reasons why we didn't have any substantial progress beyond the 1960s. Yeah, I mean, those are things that are never talked about. They don't talk about it. It's not in textbooks. It's not in any right. they history always, textbook. They always talk about, um, okay, so we have this guy, Martin Luther King, very peaceful person, um, um, ended racism. But then you had people like Malcolm X who were just a bit too mean for the movement. And so that's why they couldn't get anything done. And I'm over here like, that's just not the case. Right. Both of them were revolutionaries in their own right. Right. I mean, they don't talk about, at least not from what I know, it's, it's usually like a sentence about it and that's it. They don't talk about the nine girls that went into a church and the church was bombed. We don't talk about that. We don't talk about how, you know, police officers, these people are just protesting, trying to get their voices heard. And you guys decided, oh, well, we're going to take these very powerful water hoses, powerful enough to take your skin off. <laughs> we're going to spray you guys. We're going to throw tear duct gas at you guys. We're going to do all the things, arrest you for exercising what's supposed to be your right. But we don't think it's your right because you're black. You're black, so you don't get this right. We pick and choose who gets these rights. But someone could literally walk into McDonald's and be like, oh, I just, you guys suck. Like, I just don't like anything. And they can just cause a whole scene, put their hands on people, and literally go home and do whatever. But because someone is protesting for equality, which they rightfully have the right to do, you guys want to come with water hoses, sick your dogs on them, arrest them, throw them around like nobody cares. I mean, when these nine little girls were killed in this church, nothing happened. <laughs> like, how do you explain that to these families? How do you explain how do you explain that? You, you can't. There's no justification. I remember when the George Floyd situation happened. And me and my mom, we were watching the press conference from Donald Trump. <laughs> wow. Former president. Yeah, yeah, former president. Thank God he didn't get second term. I don't know if I could have done it. That just would have broke my heart. But he was doing a press conference, and he said... Something along the lines of, he was talking about like his new creation of all these jobs. And he said, well, I bet George Floyd is looking down and smiling upon all these jobs I created. What? How did you think that that was an appropriate comment to make? How do you think his family feels that you made a comment so insensitive, so harsh? And then there were people protesting um, in Washington. Nobody knew that Donald Trump was going to go to this church for a photo op. Now, these people were not bothering him. They weren't doing anything. And he said, I want these people to go away. And they tear-gassed him. Meanwhile, at the uh, recent celebration of Tampa Bay's win in the Super Bowl, 
there were, I think there was like the, there was this one clip that I saw where um, there were um, party hardy people that were literally piling onto a police car. Mm-hmm. Or when a lot of the protest was happening and you know sometimes it got out of hand it turned pretty violent there was like a lot of destruction happening and they went you know these thugs are in the street protesting and destroying things and tearing up police cars and i was like um excuse me do you guys not remember the last super bowl um in philadelphia where these people were literally on top of the cars police cars and setting everything on fire because our team lost actually no philly won they were just doing that anyway (laughs) Oh, they won. Yeah. Whatever. That shows how much I know about sports. Patriots but, lost. That's the point. And I'm like, so that's okay. That's justifiable. Because it's football. All American. America. <laughs> and people are like, yeah, you know, we stand for this country. And I think every, there was one point where, oh gosh, I hope I don't get like all the backlash. I don't care. Whatever. Won't be the first time. <laughs> I, when I was in high school, there got to a point where I stopped standing for the Pledge of Allegiance. I did. And my teacher was so heated with me. And she was like, why aren't you standing for the pledge? Because I said, it's not true. One nation under God? God? We're going to bring God into this now? No. The pledge does not apply to black people. I mean, historically, it doesn't. So you want me to stand for something that's not true? Right. There... I've actually I've researched a bit into um, the development of the Pledge of Allegiance. One of the drafts included in it in the last sentence, and liberty, justice, and equality for all. Mm-hmm. Guess what they took out? <laughs> the equality part. Yes. Right. But even liberty and justice. I've read so many cases of African-American men being accused of crimes that they did not commit. One man was on death row. He actually, they actually went through with his death sentence, and then it came out years later that he was actually innocent. The Central Park Five. These boys were forced into a confession. Like, you could tell, clear as day, they were forced into a confession. They were all minors. So, under the law, your parents are supposed to be present before anything happens. Before you give a confession, before you talk to the police, if you are a minor, if you are under the age of 16, you are supposed to have a parent there before they talk to you. That didn't happen. They forced these boys into a confession, told them, oh, if you confess, you'll be good to go. All you have to, one one of the guys, um, he was just there waiting for his friend. And the police officers roped him into this whole entire situation. And the guy who had committed the crime had gotten arrested on a different crime. So the guy who actually raped and beat this woman was arrested on a different charge. So he was already in jail. But these five boys were arrested and charged for a crime they did not commit. Not only did you guys, not only did the police break the law, you coerced children into saying they raped and beat a woman and did not have an ounce of remorse about it. And you want people to trust in the justice system. You want people to trust in the government and the police. It's kind of hard to do that when every time people try to gain a little bit of trust, something outrageous happens and there are no consequences. 
But if a black person decided, oh, yeah, you're white, you don't belong in this area, and says, oh, let me go get my son, let me go get my gun, and let me shoot you because you're jogging in an area that I don't think you belong in, oh, they would have gotten the death penalty. No questions asked. <laughs> no questions asked. But, you know, they're like, oh, it's just a black guy, whatever. Yeah, you shot him, but it's fine. Um, Ahmaud Arbery. He lived in a neighborhood and always went for a run. And there was a construction site, another like house being built or some other building being built there. And one day he was jogging. He was curious. So he, he went and he looked at like the construction development. Now, the owner of this area that was being constructed had cameras inside of the construction area. So he already knew that he was just kind of like browsing around. That didn't bother him. He had no I've problems done that with that. Yeah, he had no problems Everyone with that. Everyone do, does that. Yeah, I mean, if you live in an area and you see something being built, I mean, you're naturally going to be curious and be like, oh, what's this? So the owner of this area already knew that. It did not bother him. He did not make any sort of complaints about it. So he continues on his job. This father and son saw him and decided, today is a day for me to spread hate. And they shoot him. Like, just shoot this man down. And turns out, the father used to work for the police force or used to work in that police department. So one, there's already a conflict of interest. He also worked with the district attorney there before. There was a video that got leaked onto the internet because the video was originally given to the police department and the district attorney. They never released it. They were just going to cover it up. But somehow it got leaked onto the internet and everyone started seeing it. <laughs> I just, and people wonder why it's so hard for black people to be like, yeah, I have full faith. Because of situations like this, the people that you're supposed to put your faith into and put your trust into are some of the same people that have hatred in their heart, that are prejudiced, that are racist, want to promote their racist ideologies. It's... It's very, it's very mind blowing. Mm -hmm. Let's let's talk about um, equality versus equity within the context of Black History Month, and also within the context of when people ask the question, "Why isn't there a White History Hello? Month?" <laughs> White history month. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, <laughs> okay, listen, the one thing that we have, can we just have it in peace? Like, please, let us have these 28 days without saying, well, what about white history? Um, y'all have it already. Yeah, we get that for the other 11 like, months of the year. That's called. That's called our history curriculum in public schools. Like, y'all have it already. What do you need white history for? But in order to also, like, uh, debunk this question completely. So, why isn't there? So, this is basically the difference between equity and equality. Equality is treating every single person the same, regardless of where they stand in the context of race, gender, class, etc. Equity means leveling the playing field by treating some groups differently in order to attain equality. Equity 
is the means of which you attain equality. And, like, if in our present society, if we were to just blanket say, we're treating everyone equally now, you're still not going to repair any harm. Sure, you might not directly cause more harm, but if you just treat everyone the same, ignore their conditions, ignore this what they've had to go through and what they go through on a day-to-day -day basis, you're not creating any type of equitable or even equal society. You're just maintaining this status quo of some people at the top who are able to do whatever the heck they want with their lives. But then as you look at more of the context of race, gender, class, you, re you see people aren't able to attain economic, they're not able to attain economic mobility. They're not able to do as they please within like the context of their jobs, within their communities. They're in effect held back by the, so the social hierarchy of our society. And so the reason why we have a Black History Month is it's a way to promote equity of history curriculum, to promote equity of how we talk about our past. Yeah, I think a lot of it is when it comes to teaching history, um, I had a teacher one time tell me that history is what it sounds like. His story. It's someone else's version of what they think happened. But the problem with that is, is that you cannot tell a stripped version of history. You have to own up to it. Like If you know that your society, your country was racist and promoted racist ideologies, own up to that. Don't just talk about it in the month that it matters. Don't just talk about it for two sentences and then be done or make it seem like, oh yeah, it doesn't exist anymore because it does. And that's why I say all the time, history repeats itself because we are living in a society where some of these ideologies from way back then are starting to represent themselves and people are feeling bold enough to come out and promote what they think is right. Um, I saw this documentary a few years ago on the Ku Klux Klan which still exists, by the way, just in case you thought it disappeared. Nope, it still exists. Um, <laughs> have they have they declared it, or has Biden declared it a terrorist organization yet? I don't think, I don't no. think he has. No, nope, it's not a terrorist not. organization. No. Not at all. <laughs> and, oh my God, I find that so funny because we can declare other organizations or other countries um, or the organizations as terrorist organizations. We can, we can declare things that aren't even organizations, cough, cough, Antifa, as terrorist organizations. But we won't declare the Ku Klux Klan as one. And um, I think this was in North Carolina. This guy, he was a black guy. He went up there and basically wanted to do this interview of these Ku Klux Klan members. Scary. Very scary. Like, I would be terrified. But they genuinely, wholeheartedly, like, with all the confidence... They, they think that what they're doing is right. 
some of these people think that it's okay to discriminate against black people and talk down to black people. They think that that's acceptable behavior. And what's sad about it was that they had kids, like young kids. And when you have kids, your kids are like sponges. So whatever you teach them, whatever you say, whatever you do around them, they're going to soak it up and they're going to think that that's appropriate behavior. It's just like if you have a kid who's three, they can talk a little bit and you start cursing around them, they're going to pick up those curse words and start repeating it. So when you are promoting racist ideologies, promoting your prejudices, promoting your unhealthy behaviors around your kids, in front of your kids, and telling your kids, hey, it's okay to discriminate against black people. It's okay to not like black people. Like, it's totally fine. The kids are going to be like, okay, because they're kids. They don't know any better. And then when they get in school and start semi-learning about some of these things, they're going to be like, but my mommy said, but that's how history with all of this started. Someone said, hey, this is acceptable behavior. Let's chain black people up and let's treat them like they're nobody. Yeah, not, not just someone. People, people. in power. Yeah. Power, people in powerful positions. Yes. And because they're in that power, powerful position, they everyone have a else degree, is like... They have a degree of authority yeah. over what the people digest as knowledge. That's, that's how it starts. And that's how it keeps going because... Groups of people or a person, they keep perpetuating these ideas and putting it out there and people are soaking it up and saying, oh yeah, this is fine. Let me just go ahead and take this in. Let me spread it to my kids. My kids are going to spread it to their friends at school. It's an ongoing cycle. And it's so important to start learning the history, understanding the history. Like I don't, listen, when I was in school, I did not read any of those history textbooks. Nope. Because I had gotten to a point where I was a very curious being. Super curious. Like, I started looking up things for myself. Because you know how you can read something and it just doesn't sound right? My history books. Read it and I was like, something's missing. Like, something is missing from this story. What am I missing? And I started researching it on my own. And I had a history teacher in high school who told me, yeah, some of this isn't true, but because of the standards that Georgia has created and the people that sit on the board to create these standards are usually um, very older white people who have their own version of the truth. They said, this is what they tell us to teach you, but this is the reality. And I'm like, wow, good to know. Didn't know that. <laughs> and when I got to college, oh my God, my world changed. Because when you get to college and you learn history, it's very different than you learning it in grade school. Super different. Because there is no boundary once you get to college. It's like, listen, you're an adult. We're going to talk about this. This is what it is. Yeah, the U.S. sucked. Still sucks. Like, this is how it is. In grade school, like, oh, we can't say anything bad. Like, the United States is the greatest of, in the world. And we didn't do those terrible things. That's not true. And it's like, no, you had a crappy history. Own up to it. Teach it. Tell people so they can stop repeating the same thing that we've been repeating for over 400 years. <laughs> but until people are ready to start having these conversations and are, start, are ready to educate themselves instead of using the excuse of, oh, I don't know. You have a phone. You paid $1,000 for your it's iPhone 12. You it's not that hard. Yeah, it's not that you don't know. It's that... You won't know. Right. 
Or even if like you're curious about something that you genuinely don't know about black culture, you could ask. There's, I always tell people there's nothing wrong with asking. As long as you don't ask it offensively, there's nothing wrong with you asking if you don't know something. But to sit in the cycle of not knowing when you spent $1,000 on your MacBook and you just don't want to open Google. Or you can sit and learn every rap song on the planet. You don't like black people, but you like, okay. <laughs> you know, you like the music. You like everything else. You like the hairstyles. But you don't like the people that created it. And you don't want to open your mind up to learning the history. And history is so important. There are a lot of people who are like, oh, history is boring. This is gross. Listen, it's a lot of reading and writing. Yes, that is true. That's not required of you to open your mind to learning about significance behind it. You don't even have to read it. There are videos. There are documentaries. There's so much out there now for people to learn these things. But instead, they want to stick with the whitewashed curriculum. They want to stick with the knowledge their parents gave them. That's not knowledge at all. It's just pure ignorance. Call it for what it is. Stick with people who have views from the 1820s. <laughs> Stick with the idea, oh, well, they're black, they're aggressive, they're mean, they're this, they're that. All of them are the same. None of them want to do anything with themselves. Oh, he's not in college yet. He's a low life. Maybe he's not in college because he couldn't afford it. Like, there are all these things that you have to think about when you start having these conversations about education, about money. Your gender, your race, your class, and now your sexuality plays a role in that. If you want to go to college, but you don't have the money to go because college literally costs the price of an organ, <laughs> you just can't go. Like That's not a luxury that everyone has. Everyone cannot afford college. Everyone's not getting a full ride to Harvard. But in terms, you know, if a white kid came home to their parent and said, mom, this school is expensive and I just can't afford it. That's okay. It's fine. No one's going to look at you differently. Look at a black kid who, let's say, lives in a low-income area, did great in high school, like had great grades, really bright, really intelligent, but they could not afford to go to college because they did not have the money. So they have to work at a minimum wage job 40, 50 hours a week just to make ends meet. And you say, oh, you're not doing anything with yourself. See, this is the problem with black people. No, he could not afford it. And people actually say these things. That's the scary part. They judge black people before they have a conversation with them and know their story. And if you're going to give out resources, you have to start listening to people's story. You have to understand the circumstances. It's not the same. Exactly. And one, one more point to make here. I, I want to talk, I want to hit really quick on equity in the context of organizations within institutions that promote diversity and inclusion um, like organizations even here at Stetson such as um, Office of Diversity and Inclusion, um, Multicultural Student Council, um, all the multicultural student orgs and that's really those the presence of those organizations is the definition of equity. It's the fact that because that these organizations have to exist because of the social of these social hierarchies in society that there 
these communities have to be created that these organ that in order to promote equity and um, like I recently talked to a friend of mine who's at another um, who's at another college um, and she's a part of uh, the SGA at her uh, college and she told me that there's this bill that was is being proposed that codified the uh, code of laws for um, or really more specified the code of laws for um, the multicultural uh, council at her uh, university. I don't remember what it was, what the exact acronym was. There's too many of them. There should be one acronym <laughs> that that, but that's completely another issue. Um, but she told me about how there's opposition within her SGA uh, within a lot of the uh, senators who, and there's enough of them. She goes to a predominantly white institution that they're in like a very southern state not just southern state but southern um <laughs> but there's enough people in her institute in sga to block the bill and they do it on these reasons that are completely just technicalities like some tiny reasons and then there's there's this one reason like that even doubted the legitimacy of the multicultural council and basically that what that was the key argument that they were using to block the bill to specify the code of laws the the reason the thing that they were objecting to was this was that the multicultural council has to have their meetings in closed sessions that's always been their procedures and the reason why they do that is because they talk about topics that are extremely, extremely um, sensitive, not in like a sort of secretive type of way, but they're topics that not everyone is going to be on the, not necessarily, but like if there was outside interference from like a bunch of bigots, that they wouldn't get anything done and that having the closed session would be the only way that you could really talk about a bunch of the stuff that you're talking about. And so people objected to that because they're like, oh, all the stuff should be transparent and everything. And yeah, sure, I like transparency, but you can have transparency in a closed session at the same time. But what it really boils down to is that they don't understand, not don't understand, they're unwilling to understand that MSC in this Con that the multicultural organization in this context has to be treated differently than all the other organizations because the very essence of that organization depends on having that closed session. Yeah, it's a safe space. Yes. Like if you're not comfortable, if you cannot be comfortable having these conversations, especially with when it's with people who um, are 1920s, We'll say that. <laughs> mm. It's hard to do that. And it's good that we have these organizations because it provides these students with that safe space or with groups of people who understand what they're going through or things they experience on a daily basis. It's very hard to sit with like your white friend and be like, hey, I got pulled over by this cop today and, you know, 
they tried to pull me out the car and blah, 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 because I, you know, craziness like that. It's mm-hmm. kind of hard to tell that story to someone who may not understand it, especially when you don't know what their response is going right. to be, where they might say something like, oh, sorry, that sucks. Like, take for, for me, like, as a white ally within the activism space, I've grown very accustomed to having to gain the trust of a lot of activists um, who aren't... Um, white, heterosexual, cisgendered males that I've, and I am completely fine with this. Anyone who goes into activism who is of my identity or similar to my identity should be fine with this. It's completely required of you in this space, but you have to be used to be, to being not as trusted within the activism space. You have to be used to people being skeptical of why you're in the activism space. And then it's also up to you to be completely um, genuine in what you do. It's up to you to actually put in the effort. Absolutely. I mean, it's hard because these safe spaces are sacred to people. It's very sacred to Mm -hmm. a lot of people. This is like their place where they go to vent about things that they've experienced or to talk about, okay, well, this happened. Like, what do we do? Like, how are we going to fix this? How are we going to combat this issue? And the last thing that people want is someone or groups of people to come in and shut down and invalidate their experience. And I think that's why a lot of people shut down and don't talk about them because they, their experiences have been invalidated. Or someone comes up and creates an excuse. Oh, well, maybe if you didn't do this, or maybe if you did this, or maybe if you wasn't wearing a hoodie or something, maybe that wouldn't have happened. And it's like, so you're going to invalidate my experience and then tell me what I should have done. That's not how that works. And and that creates a lot of distrust and it makes it hard to be like, well, who can I tell this to? Like, if I tell this to this person, what's going to happen? Like, what's their reaction going to be? You know what? I got the answer. Let me just create a safe space. It's where I can talk about it freely and openly with people who I, who I know or understand or people who can help me find a solution. Um, but we do live in a society where I, these issues obviously are not going to be fixed overnight. And there are a lot of people working on active plans to combat and fight these issues. Um, I think a lot of people in government have to have a change of heart and a change of, change of mind and be willing to be like, look, listen, I know you're dusty and old, but you are not in your dusty and old age anymore. Like, this is not acceptable behavior. This is not how you treat people. We need to fix this. Like, putting people in power who, I per- this is just me. I personally think if you're going to work in politics or if you're going to be president, if you're going to be in the White House, period, and you have the power to change laws and make decisions on laws, I think you need to have some sort of knowledge of history. Because if you come in there and you know nothing about history, you know nothing about how language affects everything, that's a problem. Or if you come in and you're like, well, I don't know, I just think black people complain too much. Like, I just don't see what the problem is. I don't want you in charge of legislation. (laughs) I do not want you in power. I do not want you to come in with the mindset of, oh, I'm white. 
So I only have to worry about me. Or, you know, I know there's like a lot of people and different groups of us in there, but if you're not Christian, then whatever. You have to go in there with the mindset of, okay, we live in the U.S., where there is a lot of different people of different ethnicities and races which are socially constructed. (laughs) So let me make sure I'm creating a plan where I'm promoting equality, where I am standing up for issues that are issues, that I'm standing up for people who have lost their loved ones to police brutality, who have lost their loved ones because someone was just hateful. But until there is a decision about that and until people really start going, let me not be ignorant, these problems are going to continue to exist. And I know it's, it's so hard to say, but that's just the reality of what it is. Exactly. Um, this, is a, this is a really good place to end the episode. Thank you so much for coming on to the podcast. Thank you for having me. See you next week. All right. That's our show. Thank you so much to Jasmine Tinsley for coming on to the show. If you haven't yet, please subscribe to us on whatever platform you get your podcasts. Please follow us on social media. Our Instagram is at 2024 underscore podcast. Our Twitter is at 2024 pod. And our Facebook is 2024 The Class of Activism. Our editor and producer is Grace Herzog. Our graphic designer is Cass Bradley. Our social media coordinator is Hunter Asme. Our policy specialists are Katie Kraft and Jada Hunter. Our legal analyst is Dee Huey. And the intro and outro song is by Joe Kim Carew. Thanks for listening. I'll see you next week.